0: Church, as we continue to worship this morning, I'm going to encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Paul's epistle to the churches in Galatia. Galatians chapter 5 this morning, uh, verses 22 through 23 is where we're going to be. And then we will roam uh, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament as we continue in a series entitled Cultivated in His Character. Cultivated in His Character as we're looking this summer at the various characteristics of the fruit of Of the Spirit. Happy Fourth of July to each and every one of you that are here. What a joy it is for us to be able to celebrate as as citizens of this earthly kingdom, and ability as citizens of an eternal kingdom to be able to worship God freely without fear of repercussion and imprisonment. That is a freedom that comes at a price. It is a freedom that we should not be, uh, you know, we we shouldn't uh, think and take for granted. It is a freedom that millions of Christians across the world this very morning do not have. And so what we're doing today, as we've openly worshipped Him, as we've gathered together with, with literally millions of Christians across the world, there are many that don't have this ability. And so we want to pray for those that are persecuted across the world, but we also want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for those that have purchased our freedom through our faithful sacrifice. Men and women who have served our military in the generations past and even currently abroad and at home, this is a freedom that has a price. And so we're grateful as as citizens of this earthly kingdom for that joy. There are many things that you're going to do on the 4th of July. Uh, Many of you are going to watch fireworks tonight. Some of you are going to Uh, cook out, grill out this afternoon. I I see a lot of people that have family with them, and this is a joy. You're going to maybe watch, I mean, there's nothing more like the 4th of July than watching baseball, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do uh, this 4th of July. i tell you what you can't do, though. You you can't watch college baseball this Sunday. Do you know that? Um, You know? I I, I didn't really keep up with the College World Series, but uh, I heard... I heard that a certain team won that, so I mean, you know, I don't know. But uh, if there was ever a Sunday that I, as a Mississippi State fan, were tempted to bring a cowbell to church, it was this <laughs> Sunday. But you uh, should note that that my wife is infinitely wise and that she has saved me once again from ringing a cowbell on a Sunday morning here. So Daniel, thank you for your love, not only for your husband, but for Dawson, the Dawson family of faith here this morning. So all of your Alabama and Auburn fans uh, would, would certainly maybe take exception. I think, I think uh, most of you are rooting for Mississippi State, so thank you. We had a lot of commonality this last week right here. So back to our task at hand here. I'm so easily, easily distracted after this past week right here. So we're in this series entitled Cultivated in His Character. We're walking through the various embodiments, the various characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. What grounds us is the central passage that's found in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 through 23. So hear it again, the word of the Lord, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We want to focus on this fifth characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit that is the kindness of God. I want us to think about this as, as we would the image of a funnel. I want us to start as widely and as broadly as we can as we think of God's kindness that is on display for all to see. I want us to think about God's saving kindness that has redeemed us, that were blind, that now can see through the power of the Holy Spirit, who were once lost but are now found. And I want us to think about how we are called as followers of Jesus to be ambassadors of of his kindness in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our church. I want us to think about kindness. Now, the first aspect of kindness that I want us to think about is that God's kindness is available for all to see. Think about the way the psalmist would say this in Psalm 145 verse 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Notice that, that three-letter word that has a repetition there in Psalm 145, which is all in all, the kindness of God. His goodness and His mercy is on display for all to see. Now, th- this is remarkable when we think about this because there, there is so much in our life that we want to hoard to ourselves, that we want to be stingy with. There are certain things that we just do not want to share by nature. And by by our nurture, that we want to hold close to us. But God's kindness is not an attribute of God that he desires to hold close to his chest. His mercy, his goodness, his kindness is on display for all to see. There's a a two-word phrase that has been utilized by the church throughout the centuries to describe the kindness of God on display for all to see. And it is this phrase called common grace. It's a phrase that wasn't invented by, but it certainly was popularized by, a, by a, a theologian in the Netherlands named Abraham Kuyper. And he talked about common grace as the grace of God that gives all people manifold blessings. The grace of God that gives all people manifold blessings that are not directly tied to their salvation. So when you woke up this morning, you were a recipient of the kindness of God. When you're able to breathe and to walk in joy and laughter and amazement and wonder, the ability to wake up and to see the sun rising and have the radiation of the sun, the the rays of the sun on your face and to be able to, to see the beauty of creation, this is the kindness of God on display. Think about it, Uh, you could go 15 miles south of us here and you could hike to King's Chair at Oak Mountain, you can look down across miles and miles of of this forested area and it's in that moment Christian and non-Christian alike can see the beauty of what John Calvin said, the, the theater of glory that is on display for all to see. The canvas of creation that is calling out there is a creator who is infinitely majestic and infinitely wise, and he's created a world where we're able to be awed by the beauty of it. So many of you you made the trek down already to the beach. You're planning to go to the beach. You take your sandals off and you sit there and you feel the granules of sand in between your toes and your feet sink a little bit more as you close your eyes and you you hear the ocean tide come in and it's something about this moment when you're looking out and there there is no horizon in the distance there it just goes on and on as as the sea is before you the the gulf is before you whatever you're looking out is is before you and it, it just calls out there is beauty to be apprehended and to be seen, just a few years ago, Danielle and I—we took our boys. We went to the South Rim of the Grand Canyon, and we're looking out. And I was remark—you uh, know—I just remarked to her just how many thousands of people came from all across the world to look at the same thing that our boys and we, as parents, were looking at this view right here, this breathtaking view, God's grandeur on display. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to be in awe of the creation that is around you. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to, to have your breath taken away by a, a sunset or a sunrise. You don't have to have be a follower of Jesus to, to feel a, a deep love inside of you as you walk outdoors and it's a it's a cloudless night and you look up and you see the, the amazing wonder of the stars before you that is calling out. There is a creator behind all of this. This is God's kindness on display. We can think about it more specifically. I mean, we're just in in, uh, uh, infinite possibilities of under this broadest umbrella of God's kindness. Paul talking to the, 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 the pagans of Lystra in Acts chapter 14. He says, yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This is something that is staggering. God, God could have created a world in which you had to have been one of His followers to be able to, to apprehend the kindness of God on display, but He doesn't. This is amazing. It is on display not just for the chosen nation of the Israelites. It's on display not just for His church, the Christian church, but but the canvas of creation is calling out also to those who deny Him, mock Him, and ignore Him. The beauty of creation, His common grace, that speaks to us, here is an infinitely kind God, the wonder of life, the joy of life, all of this, of course. Of course, we do not live in the Garden of Eden. Of course, there, there are tropical storms that already are, are brewing that have come across the Dominican Republic and into Haiti. And yes, there is, there, is, there is a fallenness that has affected even creation. But even with the fallenness of creation, there is an indelible imprint upon creation that calls out for the Creator that is singing to us His majesty and His grandeur for all of us who would have ears to hear. I love the way the poet hundred years ago, uh, more than a hundred years ago, Elizabeth Barrett Browning would say, Earth is crammed with heaven, every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest, they sit around and they pluck blackberries. What the poet is saying here is what, is, is what Calvin was saying when he talks about the theater of God's grandeur. It is what Jesus is saying. It's what Paul is saying here is that, is that God's imprint is kindly displayed upon creation. It's kindly displayed upon all that we enjoy. I mean, we're able to come to a sanctuary and some of you grew up in, in a context where you know what it, exactly what it was like to get, a, get a, a bulletin. And the reason you passed out bulletins is there's no air conditioning in the sanctuary, and so you fanned yourself. You know, you know what that's like? And you came in here on an on a, on a Alabama July day, and you're not sweating here this morning. It's God's common grace, the technology that we enjoy. You get sick in the year 2021, and it's horrendous. Uh, there, there, is, there is a fallenness to our world, but there's never been a time where the, the kindness of God has been a more display of medical technology and advancement that we have. Things that would put us in the grave just decades ago we're able to live through and have flourishing after. In record amounts of times, we have we have multiple vaccinations that are across not only the United States but across the world. Even as this pandemic wreaks havoc upon uh, literally billions of people, this is God's kindness to us—not only us as followers, but to all of creation. We stand in amazement that He is a kind God. Now He's not only kind in His common grace, but He's kind more specifically. In His saving grace. Follow the funnel. We're going more narrow here. So think about how God's kindness was on display through His saving grace to the Israelites. Isaiah the prophet reflects upon that that Exodus narrative of the Israelites being set free from bondage, set free from slavery. And notice how Isaiah in the New International Version of Isaiah chapter 63 describes God's work to the Israelites. I will tell of the what? The kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which He is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things He has done for Israel according to His compassion and many kindnesses. If you are a follower of Jesus, you would say Amen to the prophet Isaiah. You're not a part of the chosen nation of the Israelites, but that common grace that is extended to the saving grace that the Israelites received. So you've received as God has has brought you from your Egyptian slavery to sin and to the Pharaoh named to be Satan himself. And God has set you free from that. How has he done that? Just as he did for the Israelites, it is through his kindness. He saw us while we were yet dead in our sins, but he loved us, and he loved us so much that he was sent his son for you, for me, for all of us while we were dead in our sins. This is the kindness of God on display. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, gives a litany of sins in Romans chapter 1, and he talks about the judgment of God, the wrath of God upon sinners. But notice what he says in verse 4 of chapter 2. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? To repentance. Notice that the kindness of God has an object and that object is us as sinners who are far from him. And God's kindness on display in creation draws us that there is a creator, but creation doesn't save us. We must hear the story of the gospel. And as we hear the penetrating story of the gospel, that while we were once sinners, yet there was one who's lived a perfect life and died a saving death. And for each and every one of us who would place our faith in him, we receive the kindness of God that draws us into a relationship with him. This is God's kindness. And his saving grace and so if you're a follower of jesus if you've received his kindness and his saving grace guess what you have a mission you have a calling you are called i am called we are called to be ambassadors of his kindness in our workplaces in our schools in our neighborhoods in our families you don't have to pray about this in the sense that you, you, this is given to you. This is on display for you. It's not multiple choice. God has called this to be in your life, that we're called to exhibit the kindness of God to those that we come in to encounter with. Now, it's important that we differentiate because kindness has a bad name in our world. Kindness, it, it gets... Misunderstood because sometimes we think of kindness and we think of weakness. Sometimes we think of kindness and we think of just total acceptance. Sometimes we think of kindness and we make it a synonym for niceness. So kindness ends up being sort of a precursor, at least we think of kindness as sort of a, a precursor to a Mr. Rogers who just says, everybody's doing great and here's a trophy for everybody. But that's not the kindness on display, especially as it's personified in Jesus. Jesus, the ultimate embodiment of kindness, is always drawing us to the, a more fully orbed understanding of what kindness looks like in real life. i never tire of reflecting upon one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Out of all of the scriptural stories that tell us the, the very embodiment of kindness in Jesus, we find it uh, so clearly on display in John chapter 8. There's a woman called in adultery. She's brought before the religious leaders in the midst of shame, in the midst of her brokenness. And every one of the religious leaders begin to scurry around to find stones, to pelt her, to stone her to death. And it's the kindness of Jesus that intervenes in this desperate situation. And it intervenes in such a way where Jesus says, Hey, which which one of you religious leaders is sinless? You cast the first stone. John tells us from the oldest to the youngest, they drop their stones because they realize, they realize that they are sinners, just as this woman called in adultery. Jesus, I wish I could. Be, maybe in heaven we'll, we'll have sort of the greatest hits of the Bible. We're able to see this moment. I wish that I could go back in time and just be able to see for a moment what it was, how Jesus looked at this woman, how Jesus embraced this woman, how Jesus talked to this woman. But All we have are the, the words of Scripture, but they paint this beautiful picture that Jesus comes to this woman and says, where are your accusers? And she looks around, and all she sees is the back of their heads as they walk away in conviction of Jesus' words. And then he says these words, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, the kindness of Jesus on display is, is the kindness of, of, of Jesus that embodies grace and truth perfectly. Jesus doesn't say to this woman, Hey, you're called in adultery? No big deal no big deal. If that's what you want to do, go. no, he says what? Go and sin no more. But he also embodies grace. He embodies mercy. He sees her in the midst of her shame, sees her in the midst of her sin, and says, neither do I condemn you. This is the kindness of God on display that perfectly embodies both grace and truth. Jesus, all throughout his ministries, he is a a, a magnet to those who are persecuted, those who are ostracized, those who are broken, those who are hurting. He's walking down the mountain in Matthew chapter 8, and what happens? There's a leper who comes out of the shadows, and Jesus touches him. He's not supposed to do that. No respected rabbi would touch a person who is unclean, but Jesus in his kindness touches this man and heals this man. In Luke chapter 19, we have a wee little man climbs up in a sycamore tree and that guy's named Zacchaeus and he's a tax collector. It was a forbidden, uh, really, really, it was not forbidden as much as it was a profession that was looked down upon by all the Jewish people. And Jesus says, I want you, you to come down from that tree. And more than that, he says, I'm gonna go eat with you which would have been scandalous. Jesus embodies kindness that reaches out to the hurting, reaches out to the ostracized, reaches out to the broken, reaches out to the people that are on the margins, embodying grace and truth. You do not have to choose. Listen to me, Christian. You do not have to choose between grace and truth. There's a lie that is floating around in our world in 2021 that says grace is all that you need. And, and the church is to be a place that just accepts and affirms anything and everything that is thought and said. Grace, grace, grace. And there's also, on the other side, this temptation to think that all that matters is truth, truth, truth. So the role of the church is to be the, the role of, of those that are shouting from the rooftops all the ways that people fall short of the glory of God. And to call that out without grace One obstacle, one temptation is to have grace without truth. The other one is to have truth without grace. And depending upon how you were raised, you will have a temptation to one of these sides. Maybe you were raised not in a Christian family. And anything and everything went. And you saw the decadence around you. You saw the difficulty of being unmoored to truth. And so when you became a follower of Jesus, you said, truth, 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 I'm going to stand here. And I see, I see all the evils that are around me. Now, some of you might have grown in a quote-unquote fundamentalist kind of background. And when you were saved and you grew in your faith, you begin to see some of the difficulty of, of, of always seeing what you shouldn't do and what was wrong to do. And so you've tended to, to navigate to this grace, grace, grace. But Jesus the perfect embodiment of kindness, he shows us grace and truth. And as followers of Jesus, we want to embody both grace and truth. We want to stand firmly in the truth of God's Word that is not open to uh, throwing out 2,000 years of Christian history. Because we're enlightened, and we figured it all out, and everybody else was wrong. But we also... We also want to realize that we've all fallen short. We're all sinners. We all come to the cross. So we all need his mercy. We all need his grace. So the kindness of God leads us both to grace and to truth. Now, we don't do that perfectly. Do any of us do that perfectly? The answer is no. Jesus does that perfectly. Why? Because he's the perfect son of God. But we want to follow in his footsteps. We want to follow in his footsteps to exhibit kindness to those that we come in contact with. Now, how do we do that? Well, there is a temptation this very week for you not to be kind. And you know what's gonna rob you of kindness? There are two thieves that rob each and every one of us of kindness self protection and self importance. What will always rob you of kindness is saying, I don't have time, I'm too important, I'm too busy, my schedule's too important, I don't wanna get involved here. But the very definition of kindness is Jesus' words, where he tells us in Matthew chapter 7, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So the golden rule, it guides us in what kindness looks like. Kindness is always rooted in an other-centric focus. It is always saying, how would this person want to be treated in this situation? How would I, if I was this person, want to be treated in this situation? So it moves from self to other focused. And the thief to kindness is always me, myself, and I, and my kingdom, and my importance, and my prerogative, and my agenda. Now, how do we move to kindness very practically? What what are ways that we can show kindness each and every day? Well, there are two paths to it. One is prayer and the other is intentionality. What would your life and what would my life look like if before we put our feet on the floor each and every morning, we pray this very prayer, Help me, God, to see people as you see people. And God help me today to show people the kindness of Jesus in my words and in my actions. What if we began our day, framed it in the in the prayer of kindness, that that today I'm gonna be an ambassador? I'm gonna be an ambassador for you or for me. That's the choice. I'm going to to be an ambassador that is exalting my kingdom, my importance, my prerogative, or I will be an ambassador that points people to your kingdom, your prerogative, your kindness. What will it be? And I would say the second path is not only prayer, but it's intentionality. Kindness isn't an accident. Kindness isn't something we stumble into. Kindness, it means intentionality. It means specificity. Kindness means, well, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean a pleasant word, a caring smile, a phone call to check in, sending a text to someone you're praying for them, dropping by a meal, helping someone clean up after a get-together, helping to someone to, in that moment who's having car trouble to be able to make that call or to help them in that moment, listening to someone vent when that's the last place you want to be. This is kindness on display, sharing the gospel. With a stranger or a friend or a family member. After years or months of praying for them. This is kindness on display. What do they have in common? Intentionality. It, it, it It is you asking, who is someone that I can specifically thank today? Who is someone that I can specifically encourage today? Who is someone that I can specifically reach out today who needs the kindness of God to be an encouragement to them. It, it is being other-focused. It is, it is stopping to be able to pause and to pray and to say, God, today I want to be an ambassador that draws people not to me, but draws people to you. This is kindness on display. And when kindness is on display, my friends, it makes all the difference. And they're powerful testimonies of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ gaining a hearing through the kindness of his servants. There's just one story I want to share with you. I've told the story before, but I frankly will tell this story and tell it some more because it is a powerful story. It's a story that you can read about. We actually have this book available in our Next Steps area, but it's a book by Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Secret Thoughts of the Unlikely Convert. She's a tenured professor at the University of Syracuse decades ago. She was in a very committed, same-sex relationship. That was her identity. Proud of it. Skeptical of the Christian church in every way. She gained some notoriety decades ago when she wrote the scathing op-ed in opposition to what she felt was a, 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 a group that needed to be silenced, and a group that was polluting uh, the uh, America, and that group was Promise Keepers. Many of you know that movement of men that was birthed years ago. And she saw in that movement everything that she wanted to, to push against. She saw in this movement everything that, that kept her down and kept other people down. And so she wrote this scathing op-ed and it was published in the newspaper in Syracuse. It uh, had a syndication to it and it went national. And so she received, as a tenured professor of the University of Syracuse, she received a lot of, of mail. This is decades ago. People were writing letters. She has two boxes for all the letters she receives. There was one group that would say, hey, you're exactly right. I'm so glad that you, tr- you, you spoke truth to, to the Christian power. And they deserve to be ridiculed. They deserve to, to be shamed. They deserve to end. And you, everything you said was right. That, that, that box was like, you're awesome. The other box was, was a box that she just t- t- titled Christians. Christians. And she received, you can imagine, hundreds and hundreds of letters from Christians saying to her, well, they said to her, you are wrong and you're going to hell. How dare you say these kinds of things? Now, now she received another letter. It was interesting. It was a letter that didn't fit the you're awesome and it didn't fit you're horrible. And it was a letter that was written by a local Presbyterian pastor in Syracuse by the name of Ken. And it was a letter that began this way. Me and my wife would love to get to know you and your partner. We'd love to have you over for dinner. We live in the same community, and we'd love to talk some more about the very views that you expressed in this letter. We would love to hear how you came to your conclusions. And that letter, that letter opened up a relationship. And Rosaria Butterfield, in her uh, Confessions of an Unlikely Convert, she talks about how over the next course of two years that this pastor and his wife befriended uh, she and her partner. And notice what she says here. I want you to just hear her words. They, the pastor and his wife, entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. They treated us with kindness. And then, it's a 200-page book. I have three minutes to summarize it. But years later, Birthed out of these conversations, these meals together, she starts to read her Bible, Rosaria Butterfield does. She begins to attend the church that this pastor preached at and uh, shepherded. And then she writes, then one ordinary day I came to Jesus open-handed. In this war of worldviews, Ken and his wife, Flo, were there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I, I didn't want to lose everything that I loved so dearly, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. Rosaria Butterfield was introduced to the grace of, of Jesus Christ through the sovereign work of a saving God. But I do not want you to miss that he used a pastor who read the same newspaper that thousands of other Christians read. And instead of writing her a letter that said, here are all the ways that you are wrong, this pastor wrote a letter that said, hey, can we have dinner together? And I want you to see that we live in a day and age that is calling for us to choose grace and truth. Which one? Truth or grace? But this letter, this pastor, paints a way Of how over time, grace and truth can sing together when you and I have the openness to say first and foremost, not how you're wrong, but what's your name? And where are you from? What do we share in common? How can we get to know each other and hear one another and listen to one another? The kindness of God through an ordinary pastor brought this person to the saving understanding of a sovereign god so what will you be known for what will i be known for what will we be known for